In the Basque country of Spain and France, they make a special variety of white wine that just might catch you by surprise. It's a very mm, dangerous type of wine because you drink it very cold and you're very happy when you drink it. And when you stand up from the table, uh, you have a problem. <laughs> Hi, I'm Rick Steves. Coming up in a moment on Travel with Rick Steves, we take our taste buds to the Basque country. And we learn how to embrace the traditions of eating out in Paris. And we all know how to say it thanks to Julia Child of Bon Appetit. It's a wonderful way to connect with locals. And Fred Plotkin shares why you should slow down and enjoy preparing and eating a good meal the way they do in Italy. We have to be grateful to nature and we have to be stewards of the land because that's what gives us good food as opposed to junk food, which comes out of laboratories and factories. Let's savor the moments with dinner dates in Paris, Italy, and the Basque Country. It's all just ahead on Travel with Rick Steves. One of the greatest pleasures of a trip to Europe is discovering the immense variety of excellent food, local food traditions in each country and region. Today on Travel with Rick Steves, we enter a world without American-style chain restaurants and none of those mega-sized supermarkets. And we'll get excited about experiencing that world with ease and confidence. An American who's married into French culture returns in a bit to help us overcome the intimidation factor with eating well in Paris. And local guides from the Basque Country share the highlights of their region's much-loved cuisine. Our phone number is 877-333-7425. Let's start the hour with one of our favorite experts on all things Epicurean in Italy. For nearly four decades, Fred Plotkin has become intimately acquainted with Italian culture from the kitchen to the opera house. Since 1996, he's authored Italy for the Gourmet Traveler as the ultimate way to follow your senses around Italy. Fred, thanks for joining us again. Always great to be with you. Fred, I like your sort of philosophy. Uh, your uh, theme is you're a pleasure activist. We've talked about this before, but tell us just in a nutshell, what's this all about, pleasure activist in your travels? Pleasure activism, to me, means being very attuned to your senses. It does not mean analyzing everything, but it means fully activating your senses of sight, smell, touch, hearing, taste, so that if you're sitting focusing on, let's say, a beautiful bowl of pasta or a rich broth, don't be distracted by other things. Just breathe in that broth, then savor a little bit of it or twirl the pasta in the plate and look at the beauty of it. Taste it. Sit back then have your next bite. There's no rush. No one's trying to rush you out of there. These things are all gifts. And in Italy, I would say it's just piacere, which is not mindless. I don't like wasteful indulgence mm. because it is not cognizant of the fact that there are many people who have nothing. Piacere. And now, yeah, that's... Piacere is pleasure. When we meet, it's piacere di vederti. It's a pleasure to see you. Con piacere, when you give something to someone, you say, it's my pleasure to give it to you. They really mean that. Pleasure is company. Pleasure is nature. Pleasure is understanding that someone loves you. That is an awareness of pleasure. And this is how Italy, which is a society that in many ways is rather rough and ready in terms of its politics and so on, mm -hmm. manages to keep equilibrium. So therefore, when, when you go into a store in Italy and you take a number and they wait on you, it's not to rush you in and rush you out. At that moment, it's you and only you. And what else can I give you? And what else would you like? And taste this. It's good. Not because they're trying to sell you something, but because they're acquainting you with something that they know will give you pleasure. It's so easy to think of Italy when you just read the newspaper and, and see the chaos or experience the chaos and forget that they really are experts in living in a lot of ways. And, and that's probably a reason why so many people choose to live there and, and why it's such a joy to travel there. There's another concept, abinamento. Abinamento, which means it can mean marriage. It could also mean compatibility. But it's not about relationships. It's about food and wine. It's about colors. It's about textures. It's about how things go together. There's a word I'm also going to give you, dietrologia, which would translate very badly as behindology. But what it really means is, what is behind something that we don't see? 
So, for example, an Italian would look at a building and not just see the beauty of the external part, the building, but try to understand what holds it up, its position. Why was it put so that it's in the sun or not in the sun? Why are the windows facing in such a way that you either get a lot of light or you get no light about temperature? This mentality in Italy goes all the way back to Vitruvius to ancient times and an understanding that things, whether they're buildings or food or clothing, must have durability, they must have structure, and they must have beauty. Beauty is an important concept. Dietrologia? Dietrologia, which really means what's behind the thing we don't see. It also is used in politics. So, for example, if Berlusconi has a smile on his face, you know there's something behind it that's not what's so good. What's going on there? So these are important True. concepts to appreciate. Like piacere, the pleasure, abbinamento, the matching mm-hmm. of flavors and textures and foods and wines, and dietrologia. What's, what's behind it? What's the real meaning? It's such a rich culture. It's a lifelong uh, endeavor to really appreciate it, and that's the beautiful thing. You can go back to Italy again and again and again and constantly making discoveries of uh, dietrologia. Years ago, I referred to Italy in an article as the compliant muse. In other words, (laughs) whatever inspiration we're looking for, we managed to find it in Italy. The compliant muse. Everybody who wants a muse locked upstairs, that would be a great thing. This is Travel with Rick Steves. We're talking about... Piacere, the pleasure of living in Italy, and we're abinimento, we're matching things. We're going to be eating our meals with an appreciation of the culture and so on. You know, there's a lot of pitfalls for Americans because we grew up eating in Italian-American restaurants, and we get over there and we find more of the uh, old-world approach to cuisine. What's your advice for people getting over the misperceptions they might have when they grow up eating, quote, Italian in the United States, and then they get a chance to go to Italy? I recently visited the Italian part of Philadelphia, and I had a really fabulous lasagna. And I cut it in half and brought half of it home. The portion I brought home I weighed, it weighed more than a pound, which meant that they gave me two pounds of lasagna (laughs) to eat. And that is the main difference, portion size. Mm. When Italian immigrants came to the United States, they were all very poor. And with the bounty that they found here... They could add a lot more meat than you would ever see in lasagna in Italy, more cheese, more everything. So we think of Italian food as heavy. We think of it as gut-busting. In fact, it's delicate. And Italians tend not to be overweight because they eat in good portions. They also eat small portions of many things throughout the meal, but one at a time. It's not like the plate, like a smorgasbord, or a blue plate special in the United States where you fill it with many things. Mm -hmm. You might just have on a plate a piece of fish and not even vegetables. You might have a side dish with one vegetable to go with the fish. They don't want to complicate the flavors. They want you to experience it in purezza, as they say, purely. That's something we don't do here. In purezza. I like that. In purezza. I'm learning Italian here. I'm Rick Steves. This is Travel with Rick Steves. I'm speaking with Fred Plotkin talking about Italy for the Gourmet Traveler, and that's Fred's book. Our phone number is 877-333-7425, and Ben's on the phone in Toledo, Ohio. Ben, thanks for your call. Oh, hi. Thanks for taking it. Yeah. Um, I had a question. My wife and I are going to Verona and Bologna, um, and we're traveling with our one-year-old son, so we're not going to be able to probably go out to eat for dinner very often. So I was wondering, what are some maybe things we could look out for, like in the local markets and the small shops that we could take back? our apartment and cook to kind of get a good taste of of Verona and Bologna? The first thing I can say is lucky you. The second thing is that Italians adore babies, and your son will have carte blanche wherever he goes. And the third thing is Verona has a very nice market, the Piazza delle Erbe. Bologna, to me, has the best markets in Italy, and therefore the world. Everything is fresh every day. You order something by the etto, E-T-T-O, which is 100 grams, three and a quarter ounces. So you probably want due etti, two etti, that are almost half a pound, whether it's prosciutto, whether it's cheese, whatever you get, and they will always cut it for you. Get ricotta fresca, which is just delicious, fresh ricotta cheese, and you can have that with jam. You can eat it straight. 
the quality is so high in Verona and is the highest of anywhere in Bologna. And don't hesitate to eat out. Your baby will be made very welcome. You'll, you'll be surprised. Okay, thank you. Good advice. Thanks, Ben, for the call. Fred, in your book, you've got some important things to say about things that a lot of travelers find confusing. Talk just briefly about the authentic ragu alla bolognese, fettuccine alfredo, and truffles. Well, I seldom use the word authentic, but ragu alla bolognese is the meat sauce that's much more delicate than we think. It has very little tomato. The color and the sweetness come from carrots, and it's slow-cooked in milk so that the milk softens and sweetens the carrots and the meat. It's heaven. It takes hours to make. Fettuccine Alfredo was invented in the 1950s in two restaurants in Rome. It's made of fettuccine, which are egg noodles. It has no cream. It's made with butter and with freshly grated Parmigiano-Reggiano cheese. And truffles are, if we're talking about what grow in the ground, They come from Piedmont, from Umbria, and other regions. They come in black in the summer, and in the fall, they come in sort of a white or lavender color. They are tubers, and they grow under oak trees in years when it rains a lot. So in Piedmont, they always say, if it rains a lot, we won't have good wine, but we'll have good truffles. Mm. If it doesn't rain, we'll have great wine, but not so much good truffles. And you grate them very finely, and you don't overdo it. Just a few slices is more than enough. I'm Rick Steves. We're gaining an education and an appreciation of Italian cuisine. Fred, let's just close by reviewing our vocabulary. You taught me some new words here. Can you remember the three or four words and and remind us what they mean as we close off? Well, piacere means pleasure in every sense and never to be taken for granted. Dietrologia means what is behind what we see or experience. It's the way Italians think and approach the world. And abbinamento means when something goes very well together, such as a wine and a food, to colors or to friends like you and me. Fred Plotkin, I want to travel with you someday. Thank you so much. And uh, best wishes in all your work. Fred Plotkin, author of Italy for the Gourmet Traveler. Mille grazie, Fred, and uh, buon appetito a tutti. Grazie, Rico. Enjoy yourself. It's later than you think. Enjoy yourself while you're still in the pink. The years go by as quickly as a wing. Enjoy yourself, enjoy yourself. It's later than you think. We've archived our many interviews and features with Fred Plotkin on enjoying the cuisines of Italy, which you can listen to at your convenience. The ricksteves.com website includes a searchable radio archive, and excerpts from the show are included in our Rick Steves Audio Europe smartphone app. We'll check in on the highlights of Basque Country cooking in just a bit. Up next, tips for mastering the etiquette of eating out in Paris. Travel with Rick Steves is made possible in part by the European Union Delegation to the USA. The European Union received the 2012 Nobel Peace Prize for promoting peace, human rights, and democracy. Information available at euintheus.org. If you don't understand the language and customs, eating as well as the locals in Paris can often be intimidating. Restaurants and even grocery stores are often not open when your jet-lagged stomach wants them to be. And what about those waiters? Joining us right now on Travel with Rick Steves is American-born Mary Baron. She married a Frenchman several years ago and they moved to Paris to start their family. 
Mary's clever blog advises visitors on fitting in like the locals in Paris, where she now calls herself a food stylist, which I understand even includes introducing her French neighbors to the joys of American-style Sunday brunch. We're at 877-333-RICK. And by email, it's radio at ricksteves.com. Mary, thanks for joining us again. Hello, Rick. What is a food stylist? (laughs) A food stylist is a cook for the camera, so I prepare the food that then goes into television commercials, the perfect croissant, I style the lettuce, I put lipstick on tomatoes, that sort of thing. (laughs) Okay, so you know how to make food look good on camera, but I know also you know how to make food just flat-out taste good. And you have a unique sort of ability to take an American outlook and put it into Paris because you're an American that married into Parisian culture. I did. From your experience, there's a lot of foodies in America that are going over to France and, mm-hmm. and have a little frustration. Let's just look at Paris. What are some general tips to really embrace the food culture there and not be intimidated by it? I think the most basic of tips is to just keep an open mind and try and fit in with your surroundings as much as possible in the food scene. So you've got to adjust your expectations, also oftentimes adjust your timing. So the French eat on a pretty specific schedule, so you've got to get in there with the French people when they're eating. So this is a challenge for people when they travel anywhere, is eating on the right schedule. And I would say it's just common sense, if at all possible, to adapt to the local schedule rather than trying to find someplace that will adapt to your schedule. Exactly. I mean, we could take the example of breakfast and eggs. Breakfast happens at a pretty sort of specific time in France. By 10 o'clock, everyone's done eating breakfast. And a lot of Americans get there and want to have hot eggs for breakfast. But the French see eggs as more of a lunch and dinner food. You'll often see omelets on a menu, but that'll be in a cafe for lunchtime. So if anyone's serving eggs to you in the breakfast, they are doing that for your benefit as a tourist. And if you're hell-bent on having eggs in Paris, you're going to have people accommodating you. But it's not going to be a Parisian experience any way you cut it. Right. The French for breakfast usually have a pastry, a coffee, possibly a cigarette, some orange juice. That's about it. And so uh, they save eggs for lunchtime. And because they have such light breakfasts, the French are raring to go at lunchtime. They're very hungry. So the restaurants fill at noon 30 on the dot. I've had the interesting experience in a hotel where I am really ready to get going, and they won't serve me the breakfast yet because the croissants are not there yet, and they have to have fresh croissants. Yes, yeah. Fresh croissants and hot croissants. So croissants and pain au chocolat fall into the category of viennoiserie. So this is all the various things made with crumbly, crispy, fragile croissant dough. Um, So those are breakfast pastries. They're hot at breakfast time, so they're hot at 7, 7.30. They're hot again. There's a second round at 4 or 4.30 when school gets out. Parents will often grab a pain au chocolat for an after-school treat. Now, there is a great bakery tip. Yeah, two times a day, hot croissants in the morning and at 4. And baguettes are also hot in the morning, just before lunchtime and just before dinner. So there's usually three rounds in a day of baguettes. And people know that. Oh, and yeah. it, so if you're going to have dinner ready and, and you really are on the ball, mm-hmm. you will time it so you can run out and get the hot baguette for the dinner. That's right. Yeah, timing is essential. Yeah. And even if we want to talk for a second about grocery shopping, doing mm-hmm. your various little shopping, the food shops are open in times that make sense to French people but that can confuse travelers. So if you're a French person you want to go out and get fruit and vegetable or you want to get some cheese, you want to get a roasted chicken, the times that you can do that are from 10.30 in the morning, so after breakfast, uh-huh. until about 12.30, because that would be your pre-lunch shopping. Okay. Then they oftentimes will close from about 12.30 or 1 until 4. And then they open back up at 4 or 4.30 for dinner shopping. What's it? This is a grocery store? Uh, no, no, no. There's big surface grocery stores, supermarché, yeah. hypermarché. Those are, are going to be open all day, although nine, not whatever. all night, no 24-hour right. in Paris. But this is like a cheese shop, a charcuterie shop. Okay, um, so your classic little... The, uh, the little an épicerie, right. a fish stand. Those are going to close down in the middle of the day mm-hmm. when everyone is eating lunch and having a nap. Is that because people are actually shopping for the upcoming meal? Yes. Now that's Even that seems so basic, but it's almost foreign it, in America. You know, it is. And, you know, I think a lot of that has to do with fridge size. The fridge I have in my apartment right now is actually about the same size as the fridge I had in my dorm room. <laughs> And that's a normal fridge when Standard. you're running a French oh, yeah. uh, family in an apartment mm-hmm. because it's almost like you want an excuse to have to go to the market every day. Yeah, you want an excuse. Um, but, but On the other it, hand, in the United States, we want an excuse not to go so we have a freezer out in the garage. Ah, that's right. It's oh, well, if only you had a garage. <laughs> yeah. 
you have a choice if you're a traveler. Mm-hmm. You can go to the efficient supermarket or you can go to the traditional characteristic produce the market. Little, yeah, the little And I'm wondering, is there, a, is there a tension in France between the efficiency that a, that a big supermarket can provide mm-hmm. and the classic tradition comfort? You go to the butcher, you go to the fruit man, and you know him, and he's been yeah. a friend of the family for generations. Yeah, and so on. I, I think there is. I think that... Um, Every time a French person goes to a grocery store, they wish they weren't there. <laughs> they sort of succumb they go to the efficiency, they to, yes, but they because, do it like wishing yeah, they could wishing be they traditional. Could, which may explain why people are so grumpy in line. <laughs> um. <laughs> I'm Rick Steves. This is Travel with Rick Steves. I'm speaking with my good friend Mary Barone, and she's a tour guide. She's a mother. She's moved in with her love in France and Paris, and she's embracing French culture. And she's sharing tips on how we can enjoy the food scene in Paris, because Mary likes food. <laughs> Our phone number is 877-333-7425. Kristen's calling in from Arroyo Grande. Hi, Rick. Hi, Mary. How are you? Hi. Bonjour. Bonjour. <laughs> <laughs> I have a quick question. I have daughters. We love to travel with them, and um, but they are finicky eaters. I have their 7 and 10, and I was just wondering if you had any tips for foods, Parisian foods in Paris that might be traditional that kids are likely to try. Yeah, I would say the bakeries are a great place for kids to fill up because you can see everything before you're buying it. So that's a big plus. You can look into the quiche, see what's in there. One of my daughter's favorite things to munch on is a pain salé. So it's a savory bread. So they take baguette dough and then they roll in bits of cheese, lardon, which are sort of um, beefier pieces of bacon. You have bigger bacon bit. Um, Those go over well with kids. They sometimes have fruit rolled into them, goat cheese hmm. and peaches. That's a good sort of interesting Because you have one. a two-and-a-half-year-old, right? Yeah, right. two-and-a-half, yeah. Okay, so in your two-and-a-half-year-old, oh, so pays attention. And should, be able to, should be able to try that. I think if a two-and-a-half-year-old is adventurous yeah. enough to, to try it. <laughs> That's right. And the bakery is a good place to get things and store them up. So it, sometimes it can be frustrating. I know you go out to a dinner, you order something separate for the kids. They don't really want to eat it. It's tough, so it's nice to have a little lardon bread in your purse to be able to slide out and give to them. What about, you know, right. a good a good standby when you have kids is these beautiful sandwiches that the bakeries make. Beautiful sandwiches, yeah. What's the vocabulary tips for sandwiches in a, in a bakery? The sandwiches are all going to be pre-made, so there's nothing too tricky to do. You mm-hmm. just point and say this one, that one, um, and they'll... Uh, crudité. They'll, uh, crudité, right. Crudité means that there's vegetables in there. Poulet is chicken. Jambon is ham. But the other thing is that French people really love kids. They genuinely do. So I'm really glad you're traveling with them. So if you're in a restaurant, you can say, for my children, pour les enfants, what do you think? And they can Mm. kind of on the spot will think maybe omelet and French fries, roast chicken and French fries. Uh, There's a lot of French fries in France. So there's a lot of kid-friendly food that the waiter can help you with when you sit down. That the waiter can help you with, yeah. In a bistro or something. Right. They're probably not going to have a kid's menu. um, But if you ask about it, they'll try and kind of think about what they could do for you. Good Great. luck with Thank the kids, so Kristen. Much. Yeah. Thanks for your call. Thank you. Bye-bye. And Karen's on the line in San Francisco. Karen, thanks for your call. Yeah, bonjour. Um, is there a group on, like, service, you know, that has daily deals available, and, or are there other smartphone apps that are in English? There is a wonderful new website called parisbymouth.com. A friend of mine, Meg Zimbeck, has started it. Beautiful website, great resource, lots of English reviews. Mm, um, Paris by mouth. Paris by mouth, yeah. She doesn't have an app yet. There's the Le Fooding app, L-E-F-O-O-D-I-N-G, that Le has... Fooding. Le Fooding, yeah. Funny. Is that, is they, that's like, like camp, la camping, la yes, fooding? they've it's taken big. two English words, food plus feeling, and made this new word. It's fooding, which means it's like you know, emotionally inspired food. It's a, it's a great resource with a little tiny English translation under each of their larger French reviews. Okay, could you spell that again, please? Yeah, Le Fooding, so L-E-F-O-O-D-I-N-G dot com. And the first one that's all in English is Paris by Mouth. She also does some great food tours. Karen is just is interested in eating well, but, but without spending a lot of money. Uh, ah. Right, Karen? I mean, if, rather than a group on a uh, coupon or something, maybe Mary has an idea of just what kind of restaurant would you choose if you want a good value? Okay, perfect. I like to eat out at lunchtime in France. There's a lot of great deals around at lunch, more so than dinner. So I like to fill up as a traveler at lunchtime and then do something smaller, maybe a picnic in the evening. 
the best deals for lunchtime are going to be in something called a formule. I know we're going to go right. into vocabulary That's good. soon. No, this is a good time to go into that. Um, so like a formula, you'd see it, it seems like they've got a formula on the yeah, menu. Yeah, a formula. So oftentimes it'll be for a set price, you can get a starter and a main, or right. you can get a main and a dessert, or sometimes it'll be the main plus a glass of wine, the plat de jour. So it's the plate of the day. You've got less choices, but they've always got a good value on it. So look for formules. At lunchtime, that's the, the cheapest meals around. Great. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Good luck on your eating in Paris, Karen. Mary Barone is helping us out right now so we can understand the little things that make a big difference when eating out in Paris and how to minimize frustration over the different ways things are done in France. We're at 877-333-7425. Or by email, you can always reach us at radio at ricksteves.com. And don't forget... We include links to our guests in each week's show details. That's in the radio section at ricksteves.com. Mary, if we're thinking of vocabulary when it comes to ordering in restaurants, what are the hang-ups that people have, and what are some clever words that we should be sure to know how to use properly? Yeah, this can be a real point of confusion because English has adopted a lot of French words when we talk about food, but we've sort of jumbled them up a little bit. So the most basic... Hmm word we need to get straight is the word in English that we use, menu. Right. So we think menu, we think piece of paper with items on it. In French, they use the word carte, which is a piece of paper. For the piece of paper that has the the list of food. Yeah. So you could conceivably ask for the menu. Well, this is where it gets tricky because the French do use the word menu, but it means something else. So the piece of paper with the food choices on it is la carte, okay. which we are familiar with with the word a la carte when you're ordering something From a la the carte menu. Okay. off the menu. Oh, gotcha. You're ordering individual items off of the menu. Okay, a la, la carte. carte. So you want la carte so you can order a la a, carte. A la carte, right. Now, if you were to get a menu or a formule, either one of those two words, we use the word in English prefix. Sometimes ah. we mispronounce that prefix. Uh, <laughs> right. Those are two French words as well, but the French don't use them. If you get down, you sit down, they bring you the carte. Right. You can look at that and you can choose a la carte, pick things off right. the menu. Right. Or on a subsection, they'll have a section titled the menu, and that means a set price menu right, of good. three courses. A formule will be a two-course menu. So once you're in there, you've got to pick, are you doing a la carte? Are you doing menu? I suggest menu because it helps you pace your meal like a Parisian. They're going to bring it out slowly in courses. Sometimes people get worried about the amount of food. Oh, I couldn't possibly eat three courses. But the French actually have smaller portion size. So our big plate of steak, potato, green beans that all come at once, to the French, they just sort of divide it out. You start with a green bean salad, then you have your steak, and then maybe you have a smaller dessert. So it's just stretched out also over a longer period of time. Now now that you mention it, that's true. You could take everything you get in a three-course formula or whatever, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and it would put it on a big plate, and Mm -hmm. it would be like a big dinner plate at an American restaurant. Well, that's a nice, more elegant way to eat it. It is, yeah. Very nice. And what about just the etiquette for bon appétit? Bon appétit. Oh, yes. Because one, it's it's such a fun word to say on the streets of so Paris. It is so fun. And we all know how to say it thanks to Julia Child. Bon appétit. <laughs> um, you can say it with any accent you like. It's a wonderful way to connect with locals. The Parisians are notoriously grim-faced. Um, one way to really crack a smile out of them is to wish them a bon appétit. I've noticed that. You can walk down the street, and if you just slip out that bon appétit to somebody who's sitting in a cafe eating, they love it. They love it. They will smile at you. And they'll they will say it thank to you. you. They'll say it back to you. It's if... almost like they're not stiff, formal exactly. Parisians. Suddenly, they're playful. Yes. If you're sitting in a restaurant, the table next to you gets their food before you. You might lean over, admire it for a second, and say, mm, bon appétit. And that may start an interesting conversation. Whereas in France, you don't say, you know, bless you when somebody sneezes. You don't say hello to someone unless you have something to say to them. Uh, um, so yeah. this is a great way to just connect That's on a human level. That's a good level. way to connect. Bon appétit. So bon we can say bon appétit like a crazy American. All you want with a big great. grinning smile and they'll love free, it. Free permission to bon appétit <laughs> your way all across Paris. I'm Rick Steves. This is Travel with Rick Steves. We're bon appétiting our way through Paris right now with Mary Boron. And uh, Mr. Brown has emailed us from Sindelfingen in Germany. And he has said, uh, I was in Paris two weeks ago and had the most amazing food off of the new food trucks. I heard restaurant owners are trying to get them banned. What's the latest? Are there food trucks in Paris? Yeah. um, You know, the American food scene is really hot right now. And a lot of these trends are coming to Paris. Food trucks are run by Americans. It's 
funny because what is old is new again. In markets, for years, there's been a stand of someone selling crepes or someone making galettes or little pizzas. Well, that's true, or something. isn't it? Yeah, or like the the crepe man. That's a food truck. Chickpea galettes. Yeah. So it's my favorite meal on Rue Claire is from the food exactly. truck. Exactly. <laughs> so it's sort of repackaged, and now they're calling them food truck, and it's super cool. Uh, the restaurateurs don't love it, but and they got a deal. What do you got? What are you gonna do? You know, I, I was watching the you makes a, a beautiful um, video of cooking, and it's mm-hmm. like you're bringing an American uh, lightness and happiness to quality French cuisine, and you had some knack of, of introducing your French friends to bits of American cuisine that they are particularly curious about. French toast, brunch. Yeah, brunch is a hot, hot thing right now. Um, everyone goes out to brunch. They sometimes do it a little wrong. I saw spaghetti on a brunch menu oh, the no. other day. Which, <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I love to And make... you threw in the line, everything's better with bacon. Everything's better with bacon, which is the The French... Parisians agree with that? Yes, they do. <laughs> they have a similar line in French, which is, tout est bon chez le cochon. Everything's good in the pig. Everything's good in the pig. Snout to tail. Say it again. Tout est bon dans le cochon. Tout est bon dans le cochon. Oui, I bravo. can almost say that. Ah. All right. Mary, I know that you've got a beautiful relationship with Grégoire. Yes. Have you developed some food rituals with your husband, Grégoire, in Paris? What do you and him do to really enjoy a, a, an evening out? Let's just finish our interview That's with that. a that wonderful thought. question, Rick. Um, we have something we call a celebration meal. Um, where you want to eat something really good, but you don't want to spend the whole evening cooking because you want to enjoy time with your partner. So for anyone renting an apartment, these are things you can find in the grocery store or in an épicerie. It's a can of duck confit. So they're in um, metal tins. Inside them are two duck legs that have been confit, slowly cooked in their own fat. Mm -hmm. So they're very sort of shreddy and tender, and they're already fully cooked. So what you need to do is open up that can, scoop out a little bit of the golden fat, toss it in some potatoes, slide those into the oven with some fleur de sel. Those cook about 45 minutes. Then, kind of 15 minutes before you think the potatoes are done, get out a frying pan. Take the thighs out of the duck fat, place them in a pan, and they're going to slowly start to sizzle and get golden and crispy. Again, they're already cooked, so you just need to get them crisped up. And then make a little salad, Got those with your potatoes, the duck, the salad. Open a bottle of vin rouge, and it is a wonderful meal. Wow. And you know what I would say? Bon appétit. Bon appétit. (laughs) (laughs) Bon appétit. Mary Brown, thank you so much. I want to go to Paris right now and uh, put some of these tips into good use. Maybe I'll see you there. Yay. Merci bien. Merci. Bon appétit, mademoiselle. Nous prenons pendant concert. Bon appétit, mademoiselle. C'est un café au lait concert. Our next course on Travel with Rick Steves is a generous and tasty serving of the Basque Country, which crosses from the southwest corner of France through much of northeastern Spain. Guides from the region will explain what earns the hearty Basque cuisine such high praise wherever it's found, and they'll tell us what you can look forward to on your next visit to the Basque Country. moment you arrive in the Basque country of Spain and France, you know your taste buds are in for a treat. The seafaring and agricultural traditions of the Basques continue to provide fresh ingredients for the hearty cuisine of one of Europe's oldest cultures. All over Spain, Basque tapas bars are known as some of the best places to eat in town. Joining us to take your calls at 877-333-7425 are two guides from the Basque country, Francisco Glaria lives in Pamplona, where his people have been tending sheep in the mountains in the south of that region for generations. And Agustin Sarisa hails from San Sebastian, the gourmet capital of Basque Country. His family includes generations of fishermen who know the local waters like the back of their hand. Agustin and Francisco, thanks for joining us. Thank Thank you. you. So what is it about Basque culture that has such a focus on cuisine, and, and, and why is it such a big deal in Basque Country. Francisco? Well, we have very good 
raw materials. So the ingredients. The ingredients. Uh, we have the coast. We have a very cold sea. So all the fishes are very, very tasty, very good. We also have the Pyrenean Mountains. So we have goats, we have cows. Yeah, because when you think of Basque culture, you think of fishermen and you think of shepherds. There we go. That's what we have. And if you look at the map, you got the coast and you got the Pyrenees Mountains and all of the uh, the hill country where you'd find these classic Basque shepherds. Yeah, so the products that we have, they're very, very good quality. So, mm-hmm. And besides that, the tradition of the family being together is very, very powerful. So we always say that, how do you celebrate anything? Eating. <laughs> we always eat. Is that right? Augustine, now you're from San Sebastian, which is the gourmet capital of Basque country. How is food and family coming together? Well, we, I can't remember since I was a child that we were gathering together around a table every Sunday, mm-hmm. in which my dad will be taking care of the food. He will be like, mom will be cooking from Monday to Friday and weekday, and every weekend my dad will be in church of uh, preparing the meals, and uh, he got really into it like that. I remember him cooking since Friday for the big meal on, on Sunday, having us all together. Every Sunday for the family? Yeah, yeah. And what would he enjoy cooking the most? Well, we used to have a lot of fish. Now we don't get together as much. Well, we, mm-hmm. we celebrate Christmas Day, we celebrate New Year's Day, and also the Three Wise Men Day. Three Wise Men Day being January 6th? Yeah, that's okay. right. So you'd have a big uh, holiday dinner. What, what's the classic dinner that you'd have? What we like the most at, at home is the cocochas, which is the... Cococha means chin in Basque, and this is the barbels of the hake. It's a very um, small pieces of fish, and very tasty and jelly that are very precious, and um, especially for, for these days. Now, it's interesting you say the dads will cook up the formal big family dinner on Sunday, traditionally. And when I was in San Sebastian, of course, I don't have a family to visit, but I noticed the dining clubs, and this is sort of old boys' clubs, where the men would get away from the families, and they would have a chance to do what men do when they get away from the family all together, have a good time, and cook, and they do it over the cooking table. Yeah, that's right. I guess you're talking about the gastronomy club. The gastronomy we, club, that's it. What we call La Sociedad Gastronomica, colloquially La Soci. That's where uh, the men used to gather all together. This, the thing is that uh, there was a big tradition of uh, drinking on the streets, and uh, they, they thought they needed a place to get all together. And these gastronomy clubs consist on a kitchen and a dining room. So they will be buying all the ingredients at the market. A group of friends, a couple will be taking care of the cooking, and then sharing the food at the dining room and sharing some drinks as well, not allowing the ladies to go. Ladies are not allowed. It's boys only. That was back in the old days when the ladies would be taking care of the families at home. Now ladies are working. They want the same rights. They're getting more rights. And uh, most of the gastronomy clubs do allow the ladies to go in as guests. As guests. Yes. But the cooking and the the real... uh, Yes, they are not allowed to go into the kitchen at all. Not even to... (laughs) No ladies in the kitchen. Only in Basque Country. This is quite interesting. So this is a, a actual a social club with long history. Oh, yes. Is everybody welcome or is it prestigious and there's high-class social clubs and, and uh, lower-class clubs? You find different uh, gastronomy clubs. It's um, standard classes for everybody. Everybody's the um, same yeah. then. Yeah, well, you find... Just uh, social uh, circles. Yes, over 100 gastronomy clubs or 150 gastronomy clubs in the city. Amazing. So this is something unique about Basque Country. Now, I was just in Basque Country uh, with you, Francisco, and we were in uh, San Sebastian, and uh, you took me to a, a little shop, and the lady was evangelical about the cheese and the walnut and the apple jam all together. Well, that is the dessert that we have. We have goat cheese. There's a, It's not like when you talk about goat cheese, I think it's about French one. Yeah. Well, our goat cheese is a little bit thicker. It's more solid than the French one. And we eat it with walnuts. And we have either an apple jelly or a queen's jelly. Okay. Very, yeah. very sweet. And uh, the mixture of the three, the bitterness of the nuts and the sweetness of the other, and the, it's a perfect mixture. And I remember this woman who never saw me before. She lovingly cut this up, and she she would have been heartbroken if I didn't stay and eat some. And it, as I ate it, she was looking at me like, please tell me tell me how happy this makes you. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> and if you don't eat it, it will be so unrespectful. It's like, <laughs> you're not eating it? It's like, how come? Like, are you trying to tell me something? No, no. It was the most beautiful little intimate moment. Yeah, and you, you saw it very well. I mean, <laughs> she was so happy that you liked it. <laughs> <laughs> That's the joy of connecting with a culture where you don't need a big museum. You can just become a temporary local and enjoy the love. And the love in San Sebastian in Basque Country would be 
will the be food. Uh, yes, they're going for pinchos in the old town. Pinchos, that's the, the Basque word for tapas. Oh, so many Americans, we go to Spain and we're thinking of tapas, tapas, mm. for good reason, <laughs> because <laughs> the tapas are affordable, they're yep. different, they're very accessible, you don't need to understand the language, you can just point and see whatever looks good. Yep. And, uh, you know, you find Basque tapas bars all over Spain, and you want to go to the source, you want to have your tapas in Basque country, and I think San Sebastian takes a certain pride in its tapas bars. If you're going for dinner, you're going to visit three or four different tapas bars. Mm-hmm. What are some of the best dishes we should look for? Well, I would go for the baby squid grill. Baby grilled squid. Baby grilled squid. And what is the word in Basque for that? Uh, chipidon plancha. Okay. <laughs> baby grilled squid. Okay. And then uh, what's this. another one you'd have? Uh, I would go for any risottos. Um, Risotto. Risotto has been, become yeah. very famous. Or okay. any... Um, Beef uh, cheeks as well. Beef cheeks, that's very good. A little more expensive, but very good. Yeah, and it's very tender meat. When you talk about the pinchos, there's two kinds. There's the ones that are on the bar ready for you to eat. Mm-hmm. And these are oftentimes little open-faced sandwiches and so yeah. on. And then there's the ones on the chalkboard where the name is written, and then you can point to that and they'll cook it for you right away. That's right, that's and right. And I think the, the beginning tourist might just go for the ones that are already prepared in the bar, but if you really know the best food, you might want to go for the hot pinchos. That is what I usually suggest to the people. You'll see loads of bars with a big display of uh, cold pinchos in the counter, and then you'll see a chalkboard with, say, pinchos calientes, hot pinchos, those will be cooked as tried. Right oh, I just, I'm really, <laughs> I, I, I'm remembering we were there, the, the beef cheeks in the red wine sauce. Yeah, mm. uh, yeah, that's right. So you'll see the pinchos calientes option, and uh, that will be cooked right at the time and uh, coming freshly from the kitchen. It is, it is immediately fresh. That's yeah, the great yeah, thing. You go yeah. to the bar, you have a drink, and it's coming on your way. I'm Rick Steves. This is Travel with Rick Steves. We're fantasizing about pinchos <laughs> in... And one thing I one thing I got to mention is the spider crabs. Oh, yes. The what, what's cha- the word? Changuro. Changuro. That's one word I can remember, changuro. But when you go to Basque Country, you have to have the spider crab. There's something about it. Okay, I got sidetracked there. I'm Rick Steves. This is Travel with Rick Steves. We're talking, we're fantasizing <laughs> about Basque food. And our phone number is 877-333-7425. And Cynthia's on the line in Grimsby, Ontario. Cynthia, thanks for your call. You're so welcome. Hi, Rick, and hi, guest. Hi. Are you excited about Basque cuisine like we are? (laughs) I sure am. I sure am. And uh, I'm very excited to find out about what you drink with that wonderful Basque cuisine (laughs) um, and some details about the wines of your region. Good question. Okay. Francisco. You're going to find two uh, main drinks. One, the cider. We have a lot of apples, and we manufacture a lot of cider. It is great. And the most important, the most famous one is the Chacoli. T-X-A-K-O-L-I. Impossible to say it. So, Chacoli. <laughs> it's got that X. If, if you ever wanted to score a lot of points in Scrabble, do it. <laughs> there you Let's go. Do it right there you go. I'm taking notes. <laughs> there you go. Because if you see X, if you see X in a word, you, that's Basque. It's Basque. Exactly. It's X and K. Exactly. Okay, you so, always need those. So, this Chacoli. Chacoli is a white, uh, it's a very young white wine. What is important about it is that the grapes have been exposed to the sea. So the grapes get the salt from the sea, from the sea air, and is what makes it very, very special. So it's, it's a very mm, dangerous type of wine because you drink it very cold and you're very happy when you drink it. And you uh-huh. can drink in three, four, <laughs> five of them. And when okay. you stand up from the table, uh, you have a problem. <laughs> so be careful with chocolate. There's a very theatrical way to pour the chocolate. Yes. The chacoli needs oxygen into it, so you need to crash. We say, hay que romper, you have to break. So what you do is you put the glass, like, all the way down from your hand, and with the other hand, you get the bottle, <laughs> and you have to pour it. So it's like, it splashes everywhere, but that is the perfect moment to drink now, it. It's also coming for this tradition of drinking apple cider. You definitely have to break the apple, the apple ah. cider into the glass, get the oxygen, and then you will get the taste and your bubbles in the in the tongue. Oh, so that's part of your a proper sharing of apple cider also is to break it this way to yes, aerate it. Yes, yes. Chocolate is a, a young, fresh kind of wine. Is it a fine wine or is it sort of just a table wine? Is, is there a more, like, elegant wine? Uh, at this moment, they're producing two wines, one for the cheeky tail, which is um, going from bar to bar drinking the, the wine, mm-hmm. the, that has improved a lot in the production. That it was uh, the wine that uh, the fishermen would be taking for fishing that would be last for for ages, okay. way more yeah. more time than any other wine. And then now they're producing this um, the one to go with the chiquitel, with yep. the pinchos, and then the other one going for a meal. You know, nice. better 
final one. Cynthia, does that give you some ideas? It sure does. Thank you very much. Thank you for your call. Have fun when you go to the Basque Country. I will. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thank, Thank you. you. Bye. Agustin Sarisa from San Sebastian and Francisco Gloria from nearby Pamplona are introducing us to the fundamentals of the tasty cuisine of Basque Country right now on Travel with Rick Steves. And Gina's on the line in Meridian, Idaho. Gina, thanks for calling. You bet. So what's your connection with Basque cuisine and culture? Uh, all four of my grandparents are from the Basque Country. In fact, they're all from Vizcaya, which is one of the provinces, and the towns are very close and similar. And my grandmother had um, a Basque boarding house, and that's where the Basque gentlemen that came and herded sheep, they would stay with at the boarding houses in the wintertime when they didn't have work. And anyway, so as children, my mom and her siblings were raised in the boarding house, and as grandchildren, we, were, we helped out in the boarding house, learned how to make food with my grandmother, learned how to cook, and... Uh, my brother was interested in, he had a couple of Basque restaurants here in the area, and then my sister and I opened a, it's a little dinner house. It's called Epi's, and it's named after my grandmother, Epifania. You've been listening to our conversation here, and you're, you're running a Basque restaurant in Idaho. How has the Basque culture and cuisine uh, manifested itself here in the United States? Well, for one thing, um, the people in Idaho... You know, a lot of the culture is maintained by the American Basques, but we have a lot of immigration, and my sister is married to a gentleman that's from the Basque country. He's one of our chefs, and I think it's very normal to have... We have a lot of contact. We were just in the Basque region summer before last. We were in Donosti for a week, and then we were with our family in Garnica and Mungia and um, Leketio, and, and, and we, you know, it was really fun to be with our family and to see... Um, how similar they ate and the way we eat in our homes. And um, it was just a lot of fun to see how we were blessed. You know, we're very lucky to be able to maintain our culture here in the United States. You know, this is a really large Basque community. We have um, a Basque dancing group. We have a Basque orchestra. We have a Basque choir. We have a whole Basque block in Boise, which has two Basque restaurants and a little Basque market, a Basque center, a Basque museum, a fronton, which is where you play Pala. And so we're very lucky, you know, to have all of this. Sounds like you've got a good handle on the Basque cuisine. When you went to Basque country, what did you particularly enjoy, and what were you impressed by with the uh, food you enjoyed uh, back in the old country? You know what I liked? We were with our family most of the time, so we were in their homes, and that's where they were cooking, but I just liked the simplicity of it. I mean... You know, um, I think people have tried to make Basque cuisine more elegant, and but it's just home cooking, whether it's the yeah. beautiful fishes, whether it's the beautiful cuts of pork, whether it's the pimiento peppers, or whether it's the croquetas that are handmade. Um, it, it's home cooking, and it's, war- you know, it's heartwarming cooking. You know, it's made from the heart. Our cousins were, they were just thrilled to cook for us and, you know, wanted us to eat in their homes. And it just is a, it's a warm food. It's just a welcoming, warm food. I can imagine in the hills of French Basque Country, the, the cuisine might be tomatoes, eggplant, red peppers, garlic, lamb, mashed potatoes, and so on. In Idaho, is it more that flavor, or is there a lot of seafood? You know, we bring in a lot of seafood just so that we can have the bacalao, the codfish, and the halibut, and the chiminoyet, the ink fish, and the calamari. So we bring a lot of it in so that we can have that. And that's what a lot of the Basque people like. The people from this area like lamb a lot. Lamb. There isn't a okay. lot of lamb over there in the Basque country. Um, that's mostly the Basques that have come here and herded sheep and raised sheep. And so the lamb industry became really popular and eating lamb. Um, Over there, we ate a lot of fish, beautiful fish, as you can imagine, beautiful appetizers, little pinchos, and, um, you know, that kind of stuff. So, Gina, when somebody's traveling through Idaho and Meridian, they should stop by Epi's and have a good Basque meal. If you are recommending to somebody who's going to Spanish Basque country or any part of Basque country over in Europe, what single dish would you say they'd be sure to have? Oh, I think they should definitely have the halibut in the parsley sauce. 
And halibut in the it, parsley sauce. It's such a beautiful dish, and it's just it's just that even though it's halibut, they just make it so much like you're sitting in a farmhouse eating it. It's just a beautiful, simple dish, and and I think that that's exactly what I would order. Gina, thanks so much for your call. You bet. Okay, Thank bye you. now. Mm-hmm. Thank Bye-bye. you. Bye-bye. Bye. This is Travel with Rick Steves. We have been eating our way through Basque Country with our friends and guides, Augustine Sarisa and Francisco Claria. Augustine, let's finish our meal. Let's finish our discussion with dessert. Yep. And uh, what would you recommend? The pancineta. Pancineta is a puff pastry, a cake, and um, it's filled with cream and with almonds on top. It was a puff pastry with cream and almonds on top. That's right. And nice. it was um, brought by the French people during the Belle Epoque of San Sebastian, and it's at the moment, that moment was like kind of a exclusive dessert. Uh, okay, so that 100 years ago, San Sebastian was a big French resort, and they brought this with them, and now the people enjoy it to this day. Yeah. Francisco, how would you finish your meal and finish this discussion with a nice uh, Basque dessert? I would finish it with a, a gâteau Basque. The gâteau Basque is like cake, and it's uh, with cream in it. And you can have it simple like that, or you can either have it with cherries. Incredible. You, I mean, you guys are both so skinny. And you, talk, <laughs> and you talk about food like you could roll out of here. Well, we've only been talking about healthy food. It's just <laughs> fish and everything healthy. I feel like I'm, I'm in, a, in a, some sort of a support group for people who can't stop eating. This has been a lot of fun. Francisco and Augustine, thank you so much. And thank I'll you. see you in Basque Country and we'll have a good oh, meal yes, together. For sure. Thank, thank you. you. I don't want to sell you lies. Travel with Rick Steves is produced at Europe Through the Back Door in Edmonds, Washington by Tim Tatton with Sarah McCormick and Isaac Kaplan-Wilner. Thanks to the Radio Foundation in New York for technical help. Rick and Fred Plotkin have more to say about savoring the intimate experiences you can find throughout Europe. And Mary Barone explains the etiquette for shopping at supermarkets in Paris. You'll find that in this week's program details, and that's on the radio section of ricksteves.com. We'll look for you again next week with more Travel with Rick Steves. Travel with Rick Steves is made possible in part by the European Union Delegation to the USA. Tips about traveling in Europe and information about the EU are available at euintheus.org. Rick Steves teaches smart European travel. At ricksteves.com, you'll find an archive of interviews from his radio show, free audio tours of Europe's top sites, a monthly travel newsletter, and a world of information to help you turn your European travel dreams into smooth and affordable reality. To gear up for your next European adventure, begin your trip at ricksteves.com.